And now, a reading. An open letter to the President. From the drummer of Motley Crue, Tommy Lee. Dear fucking lunatic, At your recent press conference, Mora, word salad that had a stroke and fell downstairs, you were clearly so out of your depth, you needed scuba gear. Within minutes of going off air, your minions were backpedaling faster than Cirque du Soleil acrobats. In India a week ago, I couldn't get past the bit about your being the most popular visitor in the history of fucking India, a country of a billion human souls that's only 3,000 years old, give or take. Trust me, Gandhi pulled crowds. You pulled a cricket stadium and half walked out. Do you know how fucking insane you sound, you off-brand butt plug? That's like the geopolitical equivalent of, that stripper really likes me, only 10,000 times crazier and less self-aware. You're fucking exhausting. Every day is a natural experiment in determining how long 300 million people can resist coring out their own assholes with an ice auger. Every time I hear a snippet of your queens-tinged banshee larynx farts, I want to scream. We are fucking tired. As bad as we all thought your presidency would be when Putin got you elected, it's been inestimably worse. You called a hostile, nuclear-armed head of state short and fat. How the fuck does that help? You accused a woman, a former friend no less, of showing up at your resort bleeding from the face and begging to get in. You. You. You! The guy who looks like a Christmas haggis inexplicably brought to life by Frosty's magic hat. Yes, you, of all people, said that. You attempted, with evident fucking glee, to get 24 million people thrown off their health insurance. You gave billions away to corporations and the already wealthy, while simultaneously telling struggling poor people that you were doing exactly the opposite. You endorsed a pedophile, praised brutal dictators, and defended literal fucking Nazis. 99% of everything you say is either false, crazy, incoherent, just plain cruel, or a rancid paella of all four. Oh, by the way, Puerto Rico is still FUBAR. You got yourself and your family billions in tax breaks for Christmas. What do they get? More paper towels? Enough, 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 enough. For the love of God and all that is holy, good, and pure, would you please, finally and forever, shut your feculent KFC hole until you have something valuable or even marginally civil to say? You are a fried dick sandwich with a side of schlongs. If chlamydia and gonorrhea had a son, you'd appoint him HHS secretary. You are a disgraceful, postulant, hot stew full of casuistry, god-awful ideas, unintelligible non-sequiturs, and malignant rage. You are the perfect circus orangutan diaper from Plato's world of forms. So fuck you, Mr. President, and fuck you forever. Oh, and Pence, you oleaginous house ferret, fuck you too. You'll be as useful as a chocolate teapot against a medical crisis, you Bible-thumping cocksocket. Hi, <laughs> I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. Oh, and this. <laughs> it's Goal Intentions. <laughs> 
<laughs> sorry, I, I forgot that I say that part. I, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm it's losing right, my mind. Right. I'm losing my mind. I'm I'm in my recording booth, and like I told Jamie earlier, I think pretty sure before this is all over and done with, this will be my safe room. So I'm gonna start just stacking canned goods in here now. Yeah, yeah, but you have to soundproof them, or the echo's gonna be insane. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. It's my only Reverb, contact. I don't know. Whatever don't, sounds happen. Yeah, it's. I hate it. I, don't I hate know. it. I don't I'm know. It's at least the weather is not making up. It's fucking my, like it was so nice, and then it's like fucking forty-two degrees now. I know. What the fuck? I know. I can't decide what it is. It's like the Republican Party. No, I think Mother Nature is just trying to come up with all <laughs> sorts of creative ways to kill us, and it's like, well, that's not working quick enough. Let's try this. Yeah. For uh, real, for real. Uh, but we're surviving. We're surviving. We're, surviving. we're staying sane and safe by basically dipping into ghost stories and true crime. <laughs> it's what we do. That's right. And also having our good friend Eric Vale read our opening <laughs> story. I want to say now I Now, you may have... have noticed that's not a story. <laughs> but it is kind of, there's a story. There is. Because the whole Where thing we... is like the, the person that was supposed to have actually written that letter is not the person that wrote the letter. Right, which I have all of that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell them. I think yeah. it's hilarious. And okay. I just, I want to say, fun. like, our... I, I want to say that I have always, always had a crush on Eric Vale. <laughs> and now, <laughs> now it's kind of overpowering. Having heard what he did with that beautiful piece of literature, I, I now, sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I find myself playing with my engagement ring a little more than I should. Yikes. See, here's the thing. I, and I, so when Eric recorded it, I said, would you record this? He had it done like in hours. I was like, this is amazing. Tell and, me he wasn't uh, like, he tell me he wasn't like, my, oh, I actually already have a recording of it. Here you go. Right. He just had him. Here you go. Um, Michael messaged me that statement about having <laughs> the crush on him. And I was Here's how I feel. I feel conflicted because <laughs> Eric is like a cousin of, like, I feel relationship-wise, he's like a cousin, you like, know? Like a cool, and, like, uh, first cousin. Like, yeah, cousin that you're close to. Yeah, yes. like a good, good cousin, fun cousin. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Michael is more like a brother. And so for me, <laughs> I am uncomfortable with that. And I just need that to be known. But I'm I'm really, really happy that Eric did that. He is You don't get to be uh, uncomfortable so just because you He's... completely invented this family I'm now in. Like <laughs> that's not fair to yeah, me and sorry. my needs. <laughs> well, it's not your brain that has to deal with this weird incest. <laughs> well, it is now because you fucking laid that evil on me, Jamie. You're welcome. <laughs> Leave your ring alone. Um, <laughs> You're like, that shit was in so, my house for eight goddamn months. You're going to keep that on your finger. <laughs> uh, uh, Eric is good at, at a lot of things, he but is. I think he's especially good at being angry. So this was like, I know it wasn't written for him, but it it was. It might as well uh, have spiritually, been. Spiritually, it, it, was, it was amazing. He did such it an amazing really, job. And uh, it is our very first... Our very first hashtag actually in an opening story. It is. How about and that? Here's the actually. Okay. So that letter trended a week or so. I think last week. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one uh, that Tommy Lee wrote to Donald Trump. Now, Tommy Lee is known for two things. One <laughs> is for his big old schlong. And the other is for being one of Motley Crue's big old schlongs. So, 
It's true. It's for those true. who know Motley Crue, it's it's true. Uh, for those who know Motley Crue's music, you might think the writing in that letter doesn't seem to fit Tommy's style. For example, let's look at the lyrics of the powerful '80s anthem <laughs> "Girls, Girls, Girls," <laughs> written no. by Tommy Lee and fellow Motley Crue dicks Nikki Six and Mick Mars. Keep in mind, it took three grown human men to write these lyrics. Oh, my God. Here we go. It's like a Chipotle line. Trick or treat, sweet to eat, on Halloween and New Year's Eve. Yankee girls, you just can't be beat, but you're the best when you're off your feet. Girls, girls, girls. Sheer poetry. Poetry. <laughs> I mean, just the way it triples off the tongue, it's, it's really... <laughs> I'm just I've got goosebumps. Yeah. Goosebumps. Dylan, Dylan Thomas, move on. Yeah, right. Uh so all of this is to say that Tommy Lee did not in fact write this letter to to Donald off-brand butt plug Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy actually credited one Craig Allen Wilkins in the tweet at the top of the letter. However, Wilkins is also not the originator of said leather. Leather or leather. I don't know. He might have originated leather in his own way. Uh, I, I would have he, so much respect may... for him if that were true. I know. Different story. I mean, even podcast. more respect than I already have for, <laughs> for that wonderful letter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Red letter, yellow letter. Uh, now, Craig Allen Wilkins may have updated the letter to fit our current Trump disaster, but it turns out the letter was actually penned by the author Aldous, Aldous J. Pennyfarthing. In 2017, That's this. and it was included in his 2018 book, Dear Fucking Lunatic, 101 Obscenely Rude Letters to Donald Trump. There's no way that's a real name, though. I gotta say, there's no yeah. way Aldous Pennyfarthing is an actual yeah. fucking Al name. J. Pennyfarthing. Aldous J. Pennyfarthing. And the J probably stands yeah. for, like, like Josiah. Aldous Josiah right. Pennyfarthing. <laughs> and I just, could you just... Could you just remind the people what your full name is? No, 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 because it's changed. My full name now is John Michael Tatum, so fuck you. What was your what was your birth name? I don't remember. <laughs> but there's no way that Aldous um, J. Penny Farthing could have weird parents, too. I mean, and be a writer. Okay, fuck, never mind. <laughs> it may or not be. You can follow him on Twitter, though. He is on Twitter. But a Penny Farthing is a, is a bicycle. You know that, right? A penny farthing <laughs> is those giant, those bicycles with a giant front wheel that were very popular, like you know, a hundred years ago. They were called. I mean, it does sound fake, it, but, but, but so I'm does just your saying. I'm name. not saying Tommy Lee is the real writer because clearly, no, I think he's not. No, he's not. And he unless never he's taken some to be. creative. He never. Yeah, yeah. Unless he's taken some creative writing credit, classes, he never claimed to be. But I, in my heart so of hearts, just ran with it. In my heart of hearts, I truly believe that Aldous J. Penny Farthing is like the nom de plume for Oprah. That would be amazing. I I want I really want that to be true. I do too. In in our in our movie, it is true. Yeah, right. Uh, so okay, in honor of Tommy Lee, <laughs> so never, I tweeted. I never thought I, I would hear us say that on the show. Ever, like never, ever. Um, and so also, uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Was, okay, well, it was in honor of Tommy Lee, but then my brain went somewhere else. But it left me. So I'm coming back. <laughs> we derailed by Motley Crue. It might Crew. jump up. Oh, I remember. It was <laughs> it was that Tommy Lee 
just retweeted what someone else. So it's like a cover song. <laughs> right. I retweeted it and put, this is my favorite Tommy Lee song. And I think that might still be true. Uh, <laughs> so, that said, in honor of Tommy Lee making that letter viral and seen across the world, sharing it with us, as you will, Eric wouldn't have read it had we not had it not gone viral. And so I appreciate that. Um, our title of today's episode is from a Motley Crue song titled <laughs> Home Sweet Home. <laughs> Here and I have a few facts. Do you want to hear a few home sweet home facts? I I kind of do. I'm a little upset okay. that we know that like of all the places we could have cribbed home sweet home, we took it from a Motley Crue song. I know. <laughs> <laughs> not the doily in Grandma's you know living room. Not not you know, nope. uh, not the music from Looney Tunes, but Motley <laughs> fucking Crue. Motley fucking crew. That's right. Okay. It was originally released on the 1985 album Theater of Pain. Oh, <laughs> sounds relevant. It has been covered a lot. I'm sure we all know that. But I did not know that Carrie Underwood did a, a cover of it. Really? Which I think it's fucking, like, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Next you'll the tell me that, like, ranks... Dolly Parton did. She could. She, she could. Should. She could fucking do anything listen. she wants. She is Dolly Parton, <laughs> and she, she is do whatever the better fuck she wants. than all of us. That's right. That's right. Uh, 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 the song ranks number 12 on VH1's chart of the greatest power ballads of all time. <laughs> and my favorite factoid that I found is that the video for Home Sweet Home is notable because of its long stay at the top of the MTV Daily Request chart back when MTV was known for showing... Music videos. Oh, yeah. That's that, what the M stood for. <laughs> yeah. That that joke is 20 years old. So oh. that tells you how long oh. it's been oh, since that God. happened. Oh, God. But no. I know. I know. Uh, but it was at the top of the charts for three months on MTV. So MTV invoked an unwritten crew rule, like Motley Crew, crew rule, <laughs> dropping videos from eligibility on the request line after 30 days. <laughs> and it's because of that video. They're which like, I was like, what? So they were like, oh, I guys, love random history. Motley Crew fans are a little much and we just have to we need to we need to start a rule that gives them less power. I get that. I get that. Yes. I get yeah. that. And, we, we can't have these guys. And I and I guess yeah. it's a good thing on principle. <laughs> I guess. Oh my I god. Guess. Oh my god. That's great. Well, and so the title there's... the title is very relevant for many reasons, not just because of yes. the letter and not the crew, but because we're all home. Well, not all of us. Home. Many Sweet of home. many of us are home. One third of us are are currently home. Uh, to the rest of you that yeah. are not able to stay home. Oh God, please. Oh, stay safe. We love you. We worry about you. Yeah. And uh, but our topics today are very. Home-centric. Mine is, anyway. Mm. And mine also, Yours is, for sure. Mine has to do with also a letter. I'm doing another poison pen letter because I really, I really like the last topic I did, so I kind of went down a rabbit hole. I was like, ooh, there are more like these? What about <gasps> this one? Yeah. Gimme, 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 gimme. I like it. I like what's, it. Okay. What's your topic? Today? But I'm going first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, what's your topic? Mine is not about a home. I just really liked the title. And I am at home. But while I'm doing all of this. Isn't it about a prison? So. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. So we it's can, kind yeah, of similar. It it's I think a lot of people feel that way about their homes right now. 
That's true. <laughs> Synchronicity. Relevance. Uh, <laughs> okay, so what I am doing is the National Justice Museum in Nottingham, England. Nottingham. Nottingham. That's how you say it, right? Not Nottingham? I mean, like it de from depends on which uh, version of Robin Hood you watch. If you watch the Kevin Costner ones, then I think it's Nottingham. Because that's how Kevin Costner I said it. I'm talking about the cartoon. Oh, I think it's Nottingham. <laughs> Nottingham. I think there's a song that's at least Nottingham. Nottingham, anyway. Nottingham sounds like a grandpa's nickname. Like, grandpa's just mm, in front mm -hmm. of the television falling asleep, nodding off. Oh, there's Grandpa Nottingham. Yeah, I'm going to try to say Nottingham. Nottingham. But if I screw up, you You're know, make fun of me. I don't care. I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> just I'm gonna I'm gonna run towards Nottingham. Oh, and we'll see what happens. You're still saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. Okay. So when right. we were at Comic Con in Liverpool, yes. at the beginning of March, before <laughs> we were quarantined, we had a lovely listener named Tom Hyde come up and tell us about what is supposed to be the most haunted building in Nottingham. Ooh. Tom handed me this story that was written and published in uh, Nottinghamshire, Nottinghamshire? Which one is it? Nottinghamshire? I, why are you asking me? I'm from Texas. Why are they combining so many last parts of cities? <laughs> Nottinghamshire, Nottinghamshire. Nottinghamshire. Live. <laughs> Smith is what it, how you pronounce it. Uh, it, it. Nottinghamshire live in October of 2017. Richard Watson had written the newspaper, the website, the news, the news source, whatever it was. He had written it, Nottinghamshire, uh, live, <laughs> uh, telling about his firsthand experience during an overnight stay at the building in 2007. The story is very well told, but it's a little too long to read in full here. So you can check it out, though, if you Google Nottingham Post, NottinghamPost.com, and Richard Watson to find it. You'll find it that way. Nice. So. Sources. That's, that's what we're doing. So thank you, Tom, for giving me, and, and then also staying on me a little bit about it. He's like, read it. <laughs> read it. I'm like, I read it. I read it. It's great. I like it. It's so good. Uh, so at the time of his overnight stay, the name of the building was the Galleries of Justice. Oh, that night, it's not the an intimidating name or anything, is it? What? It's not an intimidating name or anything. Oh, I thought you said it sounds like a, a bar at the neighborhood. <laughs> I was like, Wow, you heard it? what you wanted to hear, but yeah, it does. I did. <laughs> <laughs> the galleries of because I would name it the galleries of just ice. Just. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like a frozen bar. Yeah, it's and like then you it's go just, in. Yeah. 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 I like yeah. it. I can do it. Can All do the it. drinks are on the it. rocks. <laughs> or they are, then they're served in frozen. <laughs> have you ever been to one of those frozen bars? I have not. It's like the glasses are ice. Oh, my they're God. Super that, fun. Would, that sounds amazing. Yeah. It was, I, I have, you remind me to tell you about the time I went. It was real good. It was a good time. I even remember it. Which, hey, Jamie. Uh, yeah. Remember to tell me about that time you were in Aurora. I will. <laughs> there, I've done my the uh, due it diligence. Was, it, was, it was really weird. Okay, so <laughs> it was great. We had a good time. So uh, at that night, the organizers of the Overnight Ghost Tour had about 20 people there, and they informed those in the tour that at times they would be separated into smaller groups and taken to various locations around the site. According to Richard... 
the place was quiet and still, and the only noise was that uh, of that coming from the tapas bar next door. Which makes me want a sangria right now. <laughs> tapas. Oh, tapas. Monica makes the best sangria. T-A-P-A-S, not topless bar. No, tapas. 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 There's small dishes. Um, Delightful. So, anyway, they were told to bring flashlights or torches. That's what they were told, but we know them as flashlights. <laughs> so, uh, and that was uh, because the lights in the building were going to be turned off all night. why i mean i'd down for it but i could see you being like nope marky out right maybe they had like central like certain locations that would have lights on you know like the lobby or something like that and they say lights out i expect every fucking light to be out (laughs) all and when they say torches i'm bringing a fucking stick with fire on it We're going to teach these Brits the importance of language. I'm burning this motherfucker down <laughs> somehow. Like, it's made of stone. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's England. Uh, you know it's cold. It's probably very cold there. And it's like gel cells and stuff like that. So, okay, before, before I get into the history, I wanted to read a little bit of his story. In his own words, this is what, you know, what he said. Of course, it's longer but I've edited it down so you can get the feel for the story. It was made very clear to us that there was a high probability that we would neither see nor hear anything during the course of the night. Which that means shit's going to happen. That existence of ghosts. Yeah, right. As soon as they say it, then it's like, well, it's happening. It's like then. in the unlikely and event then... of a water landing, <laughs> like, fuck, we're going to crash in the goddamn ocean. Yeah. And then they followed it up with, sign here in case you get injured that it's not our fault. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, under no circumstances would these people be prepared to jeopardize their status as experts in the field by trying to convince us or pull the wool over our eyes as an endeavor to create a scare. Once we were all convinced that this would not be a staged event, and I think it's important because they do, at the museum, they do live reenactments. Hmm. So, of, like, scenes, it can get pretty scary, but that's just real-life reenactments. Yeah, So I think the tour wanted to make sure this is not any of that. Mm. This is just us walking around and not creeping, you know, we're not doing anything. It's just whatever's inside the building. Okay. So um, once they were convinced, (laughs) or once they were like, all right, finish telling us this, okay, let's move on, uh, they were split into groups of about seven and headed off into different directions, each group led by their own guide. I had visited the galleries on two previous occasions, and although these visits had taken place in the daytime, and while the building by design couldn't be described as a welcoming place, I hadn't felt it to be in any way spooky or uncomfortable. Our first point of interest were the cells. They were, as to be expected, cramped, dank, and uncomfortable. While it was easy to feel some pity for the poor souls who had been locked up here for such petty crimes, there were no feelings of unease or anything ghostly. We wondered if this would change as two or three of us at a time were invited into the condemned prisoner's cell and the door loudly slammed shut behind us. We spent a few minutes in there with the torches switched off, and while I certainly wouldn't have been happy to have been in there alone, there was still no feeling of unease. It strikes me, let me just interject here for a moment, as a very clever way to catch a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> just go right in here. It'll be fine. Just, just bring it. Bring your own flashlight. The lights are gonna be off, and we're gonna lock you in the cell overnight, okay? And then you hear that, and then like just never come back for you. And the, like the next time you hear of anyone, it's like a meal, and you're like, "What the fuck?" You're like, "Yeah, got you." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and once we get to the pits, that'll make a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> moving on. There's so always a from pit. The, the pit. Uh, from the cells with our torches once again illuminated, we were led along what I can only describe as a tunnel or corridor made from stone and dirt. It was a little claustrophobic. After a few minutes of walking, I felt something hit the back of my Achilles. It was nothing particularly painful, just like a stone being kicked up, perhaps, from my other foot. I stopped walking and pointed my torch downwards to see a pebble an inch or so in diameter just coming to rest. As I began to realize that I must have kicked it against myself, a second pebble, similar in size, shot past me and struck my friend Carl in the back of his leg. He spun around with an expression as if to ask me what I had just thrown at him. <laughs> when a third and fourth pebble were hurled towards us at a low trajectory and at great speed. Oh. The obvious answer is, of course, that someone was throwing them at us. But we both immediately shone our torches back down the tunnel, and it honestly would have been impossible for anyone to have been able to throw the pebbles and then vanish behind us without us seeing or hearing them. Oh. As we continued to walk, we were taken to an old washroom, a deep pit where prisoners were literally thrown in and left to rot. Ah. And the exercise yard, complete with the replica gallows. That's After not a short a, coffee... That's not a yeah, prison anymore. That's just a pit you're throwing people in. Yep. I yep. mean, I guess... I mean, I guess they've been like... What What crimes get you thrown in the pit, I wonder? They're like, ah, eh, you're not an interesting criminal. We're just going to throw you in the pit. Or did the worst of the worst go in the pit? Or was it just dealer's it choice? probably anybody... Whoever they wanted to get rid of and forget about, I would imagine. Ugh. Uh... After a short coffee break, we were taken as one large group down into the deepest part of the jail. This was simple, simply rooms and walkways that have been carved out of the rock. Despite the pebble incident, we still didn't feel like we were particularly scared. We walked as far as we possibly could along and down the tunnel until we came to two adjoining caves that were dead ends. The caves were each about 10 meters square and approximately 15 feet high which is an interesting way to put it. Why does he say meter square, but then feet height? I didn't change that. He's John, Anyway. He's patronizing us. <laughs> yeah, I still have no cons. What's a meter, Michael? Three <laughs> feet. is 10 meters. Uh, three square, feet, huh? uh, 30 feet. 10 meters would be, I think it's about three. If I, ooh, I, think it's, I think it's three feet. Or is that a yard? It's three feet. Well, three feet is a yard, but I think that's one meter. Uh, let, me, let me look. I'm going to look it up. I have look a device okay. in my hand, and I'll tell you. Uh, how many... Feet in everyone a yard. who is not in the states is like bitches. It's three feet. I was we right. Didn't learn ha, it. Ha, ha. You're three feet. Okay, so thirty feet square and fifteen feet high. So it was twice as square as it was tall. Okay, mm. we explored, which I bet seems like it's coming down on you a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but maybe not because my room is definitely not taller than it is wide. I guess it depends. I mean, it. it mm, I don't know. I feel like we're thinking about this too much. Is Let's it move is on. it what you would call a <laughs> liminal space? 
I wouldn't, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article on the concept of liminal spaces, and it's it's uh, it's basically it's like a threshold space. It's like a place where if you stay there for too long, or if it's no longer being used for what it was supposed to be used for, and you find yourself there, it just kind of imbues you with a sense of creepiness and like altered reality, like a yes. like like being somewhere after hours or being in an old jail that's no longer used as a jail. It's it's. A liminal, it's what is referred to in the lexicon as a liminal space. This is liminal as fuck. Okay. <laughs> so, we explored for just a few minutes, and with the beams from 20 torches easily illuminating the rooms, and apart from a vast number of small bones that we believe to be the remains of rats and pigeons, and some ineligible scrawlings on the cave walls, there was nothing to see. We gathered around, and as one of the guides began to explain that we were going to try to do a kind of seance, a guy to our left suddenly, in a startled voice, exclaimed, Fuck this. That's enough for me. I don't know if he sounded like he was from the country, but I feel like he did. Fuck this. <laughs> of course. Fuck this. That's enough for me. I bet <laughs> yeah, there you go. probably there. I just defended uh, an entire country. There you go. I love it. Let's do it. Of course, everyone immediately turned to face him, and the poor man not only looked as white as a sheet, but something had visibly upset him. Mm. One of the guides tried his best to reassure him, but he was clearly wasting his time. The man was naturally asked what had happened or what he had seen, but his only response was, I can't tell you. It was like a brazier. Is that how you say it, brazier? That's how I've always said it, but who knows if yeah. I'm right. Uh, but it was definitely there. Oh. Notwithstanding the fact that we had just watched this seemingly sane person suddenly become so emotional, the fact that we hadn't seen anything ourselves in the empty cave, and the fact that I didn't know what a brazier was, once again, <laughs> we pretty much shrugged our shoulders and got on with it. <laughs> I thought this would be a great time for you to tell everybody what a brazier is. I'm looking it up to make sure I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> a brazier uh, is... A uh, portable heater consisting of a pan or stand uh, for holding lighted coals. Ah. Um, also called a rondo I mean, or a rondu. A brazier is a pan specifically designed for brazing food. Small brazing. versions brazier. are used for heating or okay. cooking food and sort of maybe or large outdoor brazier. So, yeah, I was going to say that anyway. It's but what they make a banana fosters in. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're a prisoner whose last name was Foster, it's how they make your Foster. Uh-oh. All I know is that's less scary. Like, if you imagine that there's a banana Foster A banana Foster, foster you're like, oh, but yes. imagine you're the banana. Hmm. Different story. So. I like I like the part <laughs> about being covered in alcohol, though. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm with them to a point. We're not far off from that right now. <laughs> Yay! Day the drinking! <laughs> the guide invited us all to stand in a circle and told us that we would need to switch off our torches and hold hands tightly with the people on either side of us. If I'm completely honest, most of us found this all a little far-fetched, and there were a few smirks and giggles, which were met with looks of annoyance from the guides. Once the torches were all switched off and everyone was holding hands, one of the guides began to ask if any spirits were present. And if they would make themselves known to us, nothing happened. 
He repeated the question, and after a couple of seconds, a girl to our right gave out a noise that wasn't a, quite a yelp or a scream, but was disturbing enough for us to jump as it broke the silence. The torches all came on, and while she was clearly distressed, and she explained that she had felt someone very large standing behind me, and I could feel their breath on my neck. Oh. I have to say, I wasn't convinced. I believe she believed it. Which is the worst thing to say to someone. I think that you feel I think it. that oh, you're great. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, for that. It's, so, uh, it's not necessary. Um, but my skeptical mind told me that because she was standing pretty close to the tunnel, it was more likely to have been a draft from there that felt like a breath rather than anything ghostly. Once everyone was composed, the guide instructed us to turn off the torches once more, and he repeated the question again on two or three occasions without there being any signs that someone or something wished to communicate. He then asked for a volunteer to try and communicate. Can we have a sacrificial offering? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I hate a it. A torch was... Pl- <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I don't want it. A torch was placed in the middle of the cave, and we all encircled it, standing a couple of meters away from the glow, holding hands and listening to the girl as she repeated the question, are there any spirits here that wish to communicate? Nothing. She repeated the question a second time, spontaneously adding, if there is anyone here, can you make the light go out? Immediately, as the last word came out of her mouth, the cave fell into darkness. Oh. Darkness filled with screams. The torch had gone out. <laughs> Eventually, as the other torches began to turn on and with heartbeats racing, the guide managed again to regain some kind of decorum. People all around the circle, us included, were looking at each other and cursing whilst wearing nervous smiles. Once there was relative calm, the guide placed the torch upward, sending the glow to the top of the cave, then stood back. We all held hands, and while some stared at the torch, the rest of us looked at the girl as she began to speak. If that was you... Can you do it again? The last syllable of the last word had barely left her lips when once more we were thrown into darkness. (laughs) I love the ghost is like, yeah, bitch. Yeah, sure. You don't even have to finish your sentence. Watch. (laughs) This, This time, the screams that accompanied the dark were less jovial. We were scared. Following further explanations of why certain light and noise can attract spirits and examples of previous experiences the guides had encountered, we moved on through the washing room to some living quarters. The room was no more than 10 meters square, and in one quarter was a large wooden bed. At this point, everyone had their torches turned on, and the room was clearly illuminated. Suddenly and completely out of the blue, I felt as if somebody had grabbed me hard between the legs. Oh. Immediately, the pain radiated to my stomach to the extent that I held my belly and almost doubled over. Oh. What, what, what? What are you doing? What are you doing? You're doing this thing now. Sorry, I thought I heard a knocking. Did you? Did you? you? I'm closed up in here and now I'm getting freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a little box in my room and there's a whole other part of the room and other things could be happening and I can't see. (laughs) At least there's not a pit. That's (laughs) yet. (laughs) (laughs) Just you wait. (laughs) All right. So, um,. Pain, he got grabbed, his nut, he got got his nuts grabbed. Pain radiated to my (laughs) stomach to the extent that I held my belly and almost doubled over. (laughs) We call that the nutting a nut grab. It was a really hard 
he it, he did not enjoy it. We'll say. I mean, it, I don't know many people who do. Not they, they're out there. But yeah. I I don't know many of them. Yeah, yeah. The more considered part of my brain was telling me that it could be a reaction to nervousness that I was subconsciously feeling, although I was just shocked and a little concerned at how suddenly it had come on. I said nothing, just listened as the guide spoke. What came out of his mouth next will stay with me forever. <laughs> He's like, he explained anyone else that, uh, have their nuts grabbed just now? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. He explained that at any no. given time, between 20 and 30 women were forced to live in this one small room. And while this oh. was bad enough, he further went on to explain that it was regular practice for jailers, drunk on rum, to regularly rape the poor women oh, who were locked up here. God, he almighty. then said... On occasion, some of the male members of our tour groups have either been attacked or actually grabbed by their privates. He uh -huh. paused and asked, is anyone experiencing anything like that? Ooh. Only a few minutes of leaving the room, uh, only a few minutes after leaving the room, the stomach pain disappeared as quickly as it has had arrived. Wow. Whew. In the early hours of the morning, four of us were taken with a guide to the courtroom where we moved about freely and took photos of empty viewing galleries in the hope of capturing the image of, well, something. I need to reiterate that we had walked all around the courtroom, between the benches and tables, and the four of us, along with the guide, were without any doubt the only ones in the courtroom at that time. We gathered close to the judge's chair and decided to try once more to communicate. The torches were switched off, and while it was relatively dark, the light filtering from the streets allowed us to make out the images of each other and that of the close vicinity. We stood in silence for a few minutes, waiting for something to happen. Then, from just a meter or so behind me, we clearly heard slow footsteps. Wooden shoes on the wooden floor of the courtroom simply walked from behind me next to me in front of me, and then faded into the emptiness of the dark room as they got further away. Every single one of us heard them as clear as day. Uh, if our eyes had been closed, we would have believed that somebody had just walked slowly past us. The interesting thing was, while we have no doubt that we had just experienced something ghostly, not one of us felt uncomfortable or scared by it. It was more of a case of, wow, did that just happen? Hmm. Because we were all rather excited by this, we decided to fall silent again to see what, if anything, would happen again. There were no footsteps, but a tune was whistled from about five meters away from one side of the court. We waited in silence, and just a few seconds later, it happened again. It clearly wasn't coming from the bars outside. It was just in front of us in the courtroom. It was at one point suggested that it was just the wind, but that wasn't possible. <laughs> Wendy's in my house. It was clearly a tune. <laughs> we, she is. Yeah. We waited quietly for it to happen a third time, and when nothing happened for a couple of minutes, one of the members of our group whistled a four-note tune. Immediately, the tune was mimicked from the darkness only a couple of meters in front of us. Nope, that's our some, eyes that's were some now the conjuring bullshit right weird. there. Mm -mm, nope. Yeah, right? Our eyes were now accustomed to the light, and we could see well enough to know for sure that there was simply nothing there to make the noise. The mimicking happened on one more occasion, but following that, despite our continued efforts, there was nothing. And it was time for a final coffee break. <laughs> 
So, yeah, after that last coffee break, uh, Rich and Carl went wandering around alone. They let them kind of just go by themselves. And it was pretty early in the morning. And they entered the first level of the newest cells. Mm. So it was in the jail. They both got this overwhelming sense of dread, of fear. They were terrified. And they felt like they are not supposed to be there. Now, they had been there previously with a group, but then going back together, it was just a get out kind of feeling. And right. uh, Rich said the only time he's ever felt like that before was when he was visiting Alcatraz. Oh. Yeah. So after uh, oh. reading oh. this, I immediately was like, well, what is the history of this building? Right. You know, let's see what's into it. So that's what I did. I went and found out for all of us. Yay. The, you my did a sources, hysteria. Yeah. My sources are gallariesofjustice.com, an article on The Guardian by Owen Bocott, and creepyghoststories.com. Nice. Nice, nice. First of all, the National Justice Museum is a museum of crime and punishment. Ah, see? So it's not a gay bar. It's a law and order of museums. (laughs) Dun, dun. (laughs) Based in Nottingham's old courthouse and jail, the Georgian-fronted complex exhibits the Bow Street Court Dock, where Emmeline Pankhurst, Emmeline, Emmeline Pankhurst, argued for suffragette suffragette rights, Mm. an 18th-century birching stool, and forensic (laughs) evidence from the Great Train Robbery. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. By old courthouse and jail. I mean, ye old with an E, courthouse <laughs> and jail spelled G A O L. It's old. <laughs> gale. It's old as fuck. Gale. The first, yeah, it's a gale. That's how old it is. <laughs> it's a gale time. <laughs> yeah. The first written records that show the site was used as a court are from 1375. The first written records showing the site was used as a prison are from 1449. So Mm. we have quite a history of the building being used to determine the freedom of people who had to go to these buildings. The gallows were located on the front steps. Hello, sudden and violent deaths that are usually assumed to produce unsettled spirits. Uh. Yay! Uh. During the 17th century, there's a lot of documentation discussing the need to rebuild the courthouse because it was old. Even in the, in the 1600s, it was old. They're like, shit's unfortunately, old. <laughs> and it took like, unfortunately, back no then it took like 500 taken. years for shit to get old. So you know it was. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was old. Um, no, but they didn't do anything about it. So in 1724, one of the courtroom floors collapsed. The judge walked in, sat down, and watched in shock as the solicitors, jury, public, and the accused all went crashing into the cellars. Oh. The Nottingham cur- Current in March of <laughs> I just imagine it playing like all rise, and then he comes in, you may be seated, and like immediately. And then, <laughs> down yes, they can go. You I can, and it's kind of and, funny, even though I know it's terribly it's tragic. <laughs> it's horrible. But it, well, it, it sounds like been, a setup for. quite a bit worse. It sounds like a setup for a lawyer yeah. joke. Right. It, yes. Uh, it could have been quite a bit worse, though. Uh, mm. The Nottingham Courant, C-O-U-R-E-N-T, <laughs> Courant, in March <laughs> of 1724, reported, on Monday morning, after the judge had gone into the county hall and a great crowd of people being there, a tracing or two that supported the floor broke and fell in, and several people fell in with it. Some were bruised, but one man named Fellingham... <laughs> 
for real. That's his fucking name. I'm not joking. His name was Bellingham. <laughs> He's a great, great grandfather. Great, 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 great grandfather of Aldous Penny Farthing. That's right. That's right. And we just come up from a family that we're named for our destinies. All quirky women in movies that fall a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, Bellingham. This and this is fun. Was pretty much hurt. One leg being stripped to the bone. Oh, that was his and mother's was maiden much name. Hurt. Pretty much hurt. Pretty much hurt. But, the, but listen to this again. Okay, was sorry. Was pretty much hurt, one leg being stripped to the bone, and was much hurt. And was much hurt. That's pretty much I hurt. I think the wording in this is a lesson that a lot of people throughout history have believed they were writers, but they weren't. This is very fucking true. I bet that this I bet I bet this writer wrote the 18th century version of Girls, Girls, Girls. <laughs> It's called Winches, Winches, Winches. <laughs> Just Winches, Winches. Actually, no, it's called probably... it's called Winches in Thrice. Yeah, but I bet he had a long sword, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So, <laughs> hey. Uh, okay, on, on more of this article. This caused great consternation in court, some apprehending the hall might fall, others crying out fire, etc., which made several people climb out of the windows. <laughs> the judge, being also terribly frightened, cried out, A plot! A plot! But the consternation soon Everyone's being like, over. Everyone's like, what is it? The court is it a fire? Is it a business. plot? What the fuck's going on? <laughs> yeah. It's a plot. Consternation. General. It sounds consternating. <laughs> I'm consternated just like thinking about it. Oh my God, right? Well, I'm drinking coffee, so I won't be consternated <laughs> for long. Oh. <laughs> I have focus, but I'm not consternated. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, there may not be a ding, but there is a reference to farts and poop. So we're on, we're on point. Because, the because those references are during... ageless. That's what's going to get us, that's what's going to get us yeah. into the Library of Congress. <laughs> that's right. Fart joke. <laughs> they're not jokes, they're truths. Okay. <laughs> The hall was rebuilt during 1769 to 1772. The inscription on the top of the building reads, This county hall was erected in the year MDCCLX. <laughs> I just wanted to read that out loud. It <laughs> sounds like a rapper name. Year, I know, MDCCLX. And in the 10th year of the reign of His Majesty George III. They didn't mm. say anything about him being fucking crazy. The building was fronted by an iron palisade to help control unruly crowds on the occasion of a public hanging. Fun! Men, I mean, women, witches, and even children were killed here by hanging while others died while being imprisoned in filthy conditions in the underground cells and pits. What's the difference between a cell and a pit? Well, when people were thrown down into the dark, scary, small pits, they were left to die in their own filth and squalor. They were uh, truly being put where they could be forgotten about. Uh, yeah. Uh, Prison so cells, gross. public executions, and a police station and magistrate's court have all operated from the building. But there's more to the site than the so-called justice being dealt above the ground or the underground cells or cesspits. It has been... Uh, it also has a secret city of caves, which used to lead up to some of the poorest streets, no doubt where many of the criminals would hide out, and many would have been brought through to the gallery to be sentenced to death, then mm. either hanged or left to suffer in a cell or a pit. Ooh. 
The last Crown Court hearings in 1986 involved offenses from the miners' strike. Mm. So the court was was in action up until the late 80s. Jesus. But what about before written history? Because we only have from the written history, right? That's true. What was on the land before those written documents from 1373? Mm. The site itself dates back to at least 600 A.D. Mm. And... <laughs> It was a base for Nottingham's original Saxon settlement. Ah. In those days, Nottingham was known as, this is true, this is also not a joke, Snottingham. Snottingham. Yeah, kind of. Snottingham. The village, it, it meant the village belonging to Snotter. I thought it meant, like, it's not Nottingham. Where are you, Snottingham? It's Nottingham. Snottingham. No, more snot. It's it's more about snot. It's it's not Ingham. Snotta, Ingham. It's just, yeah, it's where are you? Yeah, yeah. Am I in Ingham? No, due to no. The, <laughs> no, no, not there, not there. It's not no. Uh, due to the lack of written records, we cannot be certain the site was used for courts or jails. However, archaeologists have uncovered some major clues in the sandstone caves, which suggests that the site was in fact linked with justice and imprisonment since the Saxon times. When the Normans invaded and appointed sheriffs as keepers of the peace and the collectors of taxes, the county sheriffs were based on this specific site since 1125. We don't know wow. they were based there from the beginning, but it is known that the site was known as Sheriff's Hall, County Hall, or the King's Hall, which makes you wonder about the Sheriff of Nottingham. I mean, right? Right? Was he there? Was but... it Alan Rickman? Was he as amazing then as he was in the movie? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So we got a lot of history. There's so much history about what happened in that building. But when you put a museum into that space, then mm. you're bringing in artifacts as well. Oh, my From gosh. It's like, like a perfect storm. Of criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Haunted shit. Haunted. Haunted. So here are a few things that, that were in the the jail okay. that have been housed there and may still be. I'm not sure, uh, but they have been at least. Oscar Wilde's lime green cell door from Reading Jail was Aww. exhibited there. Oh, yep. Oscar. That one was for you. Thank you. Uh, the last working gallows in Britain. They've uh, rebuilt them, and you can stand on the trap door and everything. Oh. Fun. <laughs> mm. There's mm. a... Two-thirds empty bottle of teacher's Highland cream from which the condemned were permitted a final drink to steady their nerves. Wow. Highland and cream. black... <laughs> it's creepy. It's creepy. So what a great uh, name a for a A black executions box that hangmen used to transport equipment to prisons around the country. It includes a measuring rod, chalk, a sandbag, restraining straps, rope, and a block and tackle. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, they were... It was like their own little mobile unit. Yeah, and that stuff like that is on display at the museum. Oh. So it's like so shit here, that's seen even a lot if of these death. things aren't haunted, let's put a lot of triggering items in there for the spirits yeah. that may be inside yeah. the building. Let's put a lot of things uh, in there that are attached to some of the worst moments in any person's life. Right. Yeah. Presents for you. Like, here's Apparently, a bottle. the ghosts are <laughs> plentiful and quite present. Mm. Rich can at least know that he was not alone in his ex his experience. Here are some of the hauntings. The entry hall has so much activity that the cleaning staff of the gallery will not work here alone. 
The hall is said to be home to three ghosts, and all of whom have been seen many times. The first one being a very smartly dressed Victorian man, the second a young soldier, and the third an elderly woman. Hmm. In the courtroom itself, which is where all the, the, the benches and all that stuff he was in when he heard the footsteps, yeah, the ghosts apparently like to make a lot of noise there. People hear loud knocking on the wood, and since there's wood everywhere with the benches and the desks and the walls and the doors, that has got to be disturbing because it's like, where is it coming from? It's coming from everywhere. And part of me is thinking, like, maybe all these ghosts are finally like, yeah, there's no judge here to tell us, like, shut the fuck up. So we're like, blah, 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 what are you going to do now? We do what, what we now? want. Ah, rattle, 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 <laughs> rattle. Order this court, mother. Right? Uh, shouting from disembodied disembodied voices have been heard along with the sounds of sobbing. Uh, dark mm. shadows have also been seen looking down from the courtroom balcony. Oh yeah. I just want to go. I want to go there and I want to stand in the middle and just shout, "Stop judging me!" and make it like my own Twitter. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> uh, so good. Okay. Cell doors. The cell room doors will slam on their own, and people regularly hear rattling of keys. In the cell rooms. Apparently, if the pits do not give you the creeps, nothing will. The spirits are still there, and by all accounts, they want you to know it. Mm. Many people visiting the pits don't stay down there for long. The atmosphere scares them so much that they have to leave instantly, which is exactly how I feel at Walmart. I can't go. (laughs) I mean. Serves much the same function. It's ding ding. It's a pit. <laughs> I don't want to be trapped there. People go to Walmart to be forgotten about. Oh, I don't want to be forgotten about. Uh, some people actually have fainted, and many get very bad bouts of nausea. nausea. In Walmart, yeah, all the time. That's happened to yeah, me. All the time. And we're actually talking about this place in Nottingham, not Walmart, right now. Just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that do stay brave uh, and brave it out have been known to have been physically touched. They've been surrounded by dark shadows and have heard numerous footsteps. Many people who go out in the old courtyard may not be aware that they're, uh, they are walking over the dead bodies of people who died there. Oh, the, wow. They buried oh. the, a lot of the prisoners under the very place where the prisoners were allowed to exercise. Oh, oh. <laughs> There are many oh. reports of strange lights and orbs being caught on camera, as well as having an uneasy feeling that someone or something is there with, with you, watching you. Mm. Even the laundry room is reportedly haunted. There are many reports of doors slamming shut, along with a very strong, unpleasant smell, which I like to think are ghostly skid marks. <laughs> oh. I know, right? I can't oh. help it. Uh, lights and orbs get captured on camera here a lot, but you know, there's bugs and dust and shit, so orbs... Yeah, Forbes. yeah, yeah. But for by far the most haunted part of the galleries for justice is the chapel and caves. If you venture down through the city of caves, which runs under the gallery, there is said to be a nasty ghost in the chapel who likes to throw the sacred cross at folks. If you don't get the cross, you may get a stone thrown in your direction instead. This is where he was when the stones were thrown at him. Oh, shit. Go rich. You, you made it. <laughs> your, you've checked uh, all the boxes. Many people have reported paranormal activity down here, down there, with a lot of those reports saying someone had been touched by something they couldn't see. You can visit the National Justice Museum in Nottingham during <laughs> usual day hours, but they do also have haunted tours at night. So, when you can leave your house again, go to the museum and take a haunted tour, get some shit thrown at you, and then write us about it so that we can read about it. Please do. Yes. Oh, 
Oh, that's good. Yeah. Haunted prisons. So that's the National me the Justice Museum in Nottingham. There was. It makes me think. So in the city where I grew up in McKinney, Texas, there was an old jailhouse that had been there since since the county seat was founded. So at least a hundred and fifty years or more. And uh, it was an old stone masonry building with, like, you still could see the old uh, iron uh, uh, little loops in the the blocks out front where the people would hitch their horses to. And there was a, it was just, it hadn't been used in a jail for a very long time, but it was a historical building. So they, they used it for storage. They used it for, um, they they made it a restaurant at one point, which didn't, I, it may still yeah. be. Uh, I've never been in, but uh, they used to do a haunted house there every Halloween. I never went to it because when I was a little kid, we drove by, we had to drive by an alley that, uh, like, went behind it. And so you could see through this chain link fence into, like, the, the courtyard of this old jailhouse. And there was, like, a like a place. And I just, I, I remember very clearly being a kid going down this alley uh, with my dad in route somewhere. I think it's next to the Goodwill, and we were dropping stuff off. That's what it was. And as we went by the jailhouse, I just looked and I noticed, I was like, I just felt really uneasy. I hated it. I got this just wave of nausea hit me just looking at that place. You know, sometimes, like, you get almost kind of this emotional vertigo when you look at a place and you don't know mm-hmm. why. Yeah. It's kind of what I felt. And I felt that every time I went by that place after that. And uh, dad told me, he's like, yeah, they used to, they used to, you know, sentence people, they used to execute them right there. They used to hang them in that back lot. Ugh. Like that's, that's where it was. Yeah. And I was like, oh God. Oh, so, man. so I've never been in there. Uh, now that it's a restaurant, I, I've never been in. I'm kind of curious to go, go now just to see. We should. Um, I wonder if it's still a restaurant. It's been a long time since, since I've been in that, we'll in that neighborhood. But, see. but yeah, it's a creepy building. Ooh. It's a creepy building. But yeah. uh, it's definitely meant to be just, imposing as hell. And it's it's a I mean, it's a large about... jailhouse. It's not a prison, but it's a jailhouse. And it's probably got, I think, maybe maybe a dozen cells or so in there on different floors. So it's it's sizable, Oof. you know, because yeah. it was the county seat. And it was right next to the old courthouse, too. So, of course, you know, a lot of people of course, yeah. went from the courthouse to the jailhouse and then to the gallows, which was right out back. Oh, terrifying. Right. Man, oh, well, thank you for that home sweet story. home. Am I right? Now we're all glad to be home. home sweet it could be home. worse. We could be in a pit, or you could be in uh, the situation that the, the people I'm about to talk about found themselves in <gasps> in 2014. I'm, I love this story. I'm so excited. Uh, do you know it fairly well, or or? I'm yeah. Okay, okay. It's a good story. But you might surprise so, me. I, you know, I, I thought I knew a little bit about it too, and it turns out I was, I was wrong on a lot of counts. But it is, it's a freaky story. So because last week I did the story about the Circleville letter writer, I kind of went off on a tear about like weird letters and stalkers and stuff like that because I think that's terrifying. And this was, this is a very spooky story. Um, many of you know it. I mean, I know there's been tons of people that have done their own thing on it. Most of my information comes from a really well-researched and well-written article uh, by Reeves uh, Weideman for The Cut called The Haunting of a Dream House. I also got some information from Buzz, uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved, of course. I love their stuff. Yeah. Um, a website called The Foundry Cast, Wikipedia, of course, and any number of delicious YouTube videos of people kind of putting their own two cents in. And there's actually quite a bit of written material on this. So bear with me. This is such a huge story with so many, like, details and twists and turns that I'm going to do it in two parts. So oh. there's going to be a cliffhanger. There's going to be a cliffhanger ending today. Just just warning <laughs> just you now. Warning, grab on towards the end because otherwise you'll yes, fall. Yes, okay, yes, yes, yes. All right. So here we go. Without further ado, Derek Broadus stood at the mailbox, stunned. 
Night had fallen hours ago. He'd lost himself painting an upstairs bedroom, taking a break only after he realized how late it had gotten. Why not check the mail, he thought. Uh, there wouldn't be much. He, his wife Maria, and their three young children hadn't moved in yet. Since closing on their dream home three days before, they'd been splitting their time between uh, the houses to renovate the new digs and pack up stuff from the old. Maria was back at the old place with the kids. Derek was at the new place, alone, painting. The mailbox yielded a few circulars, some bills, and a white card-sized envelope addressed in rather erratic handwriting to, quote, the new owner. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, read the letter inside, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. Pleasant enough, Derek thought. The new address was definitely an upgrade, as well it should be. The six-bedroom, century-old house just a few blocks from where Maria had grown up came with a price tag of $1.3 million. Heavens! <clears throat> Heavens to Murgatroyd! I don't even know where Murgatroyd is. And when was uh, that? This was in 2014. Oh, okay. So these are modern day prices. Um, Derek, who was solidly working class, had grown up in Maine and uh, scrabbled his way up the corporate ladder to become senior vice president of an insurance company in Manhattan and commanded a hefty enough salary to finally afford to put his family in luxury. He was 40 at the time. Maria was ecstatic to have such a posh address near where she'd grown up. Uh, and in the words of Reeves Wideman in his article, the kids were, quote, already debating which of the house's fireplaces Santa Claus would use. <laughs> uh, so 2014 was shaping up to be a really good year for the Broadduses, but the welcome letter in Derek's paint-flecked hands on this warm June night was not the welcome missive he'd expected. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter asked. Uh, okay. Weird. <laughs> 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, the letter went on, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 20s, and my father watched it in the 60s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. And evidently, the author's reconnaissance was already in full swing. Quote, I see that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, 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 spelled out. <laughs> Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Now, Derek and Maria had schmoozed the neighbors earlier that week, their kids running amok with some local children in the backyard. The letter writer, evidently, had taken notice. You have children, it said. I've seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? And as if that weren't already beyond the pale, the writer went on to add, Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to, uh, or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. <gasps> No! Right? Fuck a bunch of this. So yeah. Derek couldn't believe his eyes. I mean, who would write such garbage and why? Instinctively, he looked up from the letter and scanned the surrounding street. It was late, so no one was out. A few lights were on in the other houses, but for the most part, everything was quiet and still. This area of Westfield, New Jersey, was about as exclusive as it got. Boulevard, in particular, was the community's most coveted patch of real estate. Not the sort of address you'd associate with a poison pen letter written by a fucking maniac. <laughs> 
Who am I? Yeah. The letter closed with, there are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out at any of the many, uh, look out of any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. At the bottom of the page, mm. typed in cursive font, the author had endorsed his or her handiwork with the hair-raising nom de plume, the Watcher. I'd like to point out, like, whoever this was, man, they they say 657 Boulevard so many times, it's like talking to someone who keeps using your fucking name. Oh, that's annoying. <laughs> it's weird. It's always it's a big red flag for me when someone's like, How are you doing, Michael? So anyway, Michael, I was just gonna tell you, Michael, that this thing I wanted you to do, Michael, is well, you know, I just thought you were better than that, Michael. And I'm like, I know my fucking it's just it feels manipulative and creepy and I hate it. Um no, Yes. It feels like somebody who knows who's heard you say somebody's name because people like to hear their name. And so mm. if you want to make them feel good and Get yes. them on your side, you say their name a lot. It's someone that yeah, has it does. read. It feels, like... <laughs> it's, it feels like it's coming from someone who has read How to Make Friends and Influence People and just fucking got lost on one of the like pages and just decided, I'm going to do that thing. And I'm like, I can see the strings, dude. I can see the strings. Back the fuck off. Anyway. Um, yeah. So imagine being this guy, Derek Broaddus. He's painting in his house and he goes downstairs late to check the mail just to see if anything's come yet. And he gets this fucking letter. Um, that's essentially threatening their kids. Um, and it's been near enough to yeah. see that the contractors are out there. Like, it's clearly not, you know, this is someone, I mean, it's, I, he took it seriously to his, to his credit and I'm glad he did, but fuck. Um, so Reeves Weideman in the Cut article writes, it was after 10 p.m. and Derek Broaddus was alone. He raced around the house, turning off the lights so no one could see inside. Then he called the Westfield Police Department. An officer came to the house, read the letter, and said, what the fuck is this? He asked Derek if he had enemies and recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case the watcher tried to toss it through a window. Now, racing back to their old residence, uh, Derek showed Maria the letter. and She was horrified, of course. What had promised to be a new and exciting phase in their lives, the purchase of a luxury home in an upscale neighborhood, had suddenly taken a sickening left turn. The pair fired off an email to the previous owners, a kindly retired couple named John and Andrea Woods. Andrea replied first thing the following morning. She and her husband, too, had received a letter from someone calling themselves The Watcher, just weeks prior to closing the sale. The letter, Andrea told them, uh, trucked in the same nonsense. Whoever it was talked about observing the house for decades as part of his or her duty, yada, yada, yada. Alarming as the letter had been, however, in their 23 years at 657 Boulevard, the Woodses, the Woodses had never received anything remotely like it. So the sinister communique was tossed in the garbage without a second thought. The Woodses accompanied Maria brought us to the police station the following day and filed a statement. Detective uh, Leonard Lugo, or Lugo advised them to keep the letter a secret, especially from the neighbors, as they were now all de facto suspects. Not a great way to start mm. life in a new home on which you've just dropped 1.3 yeah. fucking mil. Right? So over the next few weeks, the Broadduses were understandably on edge. They split their time between houses, declining to spend the night at 657. Derek canceled an important work trip so as to not leave his family alone. 
Maria watched the kids like a hawk whenever they were there, shouting their names at the top of her lungs if she lost sight of them for even a second. Derek almost leapt out of his skin one afternoon while showing off the renovations to a neighborhood couple. One of them, an older woman, offhandedly mentioned how good it would be to have, quote, young blood in the neighborhood. The Broadus' general contractor showed up one morning to discover a heavy sign he'd posted in the front yard had been yanked and thrown to the curb sometime in the night. Uh, More from the Whiteman article. Two weeks after the letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard, the watcher wrote. The workers have been busy, and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. <sighs> though the watcher what had mis- is in the walls? <sighs> All right. Now, though the watcher misspelled Broadus, uh, he or she now presumed to address the couple by name. This struck Derek and Maria as a clue, albeit one with terrifying implications. The watcher, they suspected, had been near enough to overhear someone, probably one of the contractors, refer to them by name. Worse, the watcher now identified the broadest children by name and by birth order. Now remember, Maria called out to them frequently whenever they scampered out of her eyeline. The letter went on. You certainly say their names often, it observed. The letter asked about one child in particular whom the writer had seen using an easel inside the enclosed porch out back. Is she the artist in the family? Mm. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher. And I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. It's spelled it Braddis instead of Broadus. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Just imagine, like, fucking shit. It's one thing to get, like, it's awful enough to get a letter, like a note that's got, like, maybe two or three sentences that are like, fuck you, I'm going to kill you, or whatever. But it's whole other to see a letter that's, like, clearly at least a page or more long that's just rambling nonsense, but, like, there's this overarching narrative of, like, hey, that's my house, and I see you, and the window's, like, it's, someone took a lot of fucking time, right? Now, so after this second letter, in what only an asshole would call an excess of caution, Maria and Derek stopped bringing their kids to 657 Boulevard altogether. The watcher noticed and took umbrage. Where have you gone to? The next letter asked. 657 Boulevard is missing you. Now, constructed around 1905, the broadest dream home turned nightmare was easily the stateliest house on a block of grand throwbacks to an earlier age. When the Woodses put it on the market, they were inundated with offers above the asking price. 
Westfield is a quiet, well-manicured burb akin to Mayberry and a good 45 minutes from the hustle and bustle of New York City. As Weideman puts it, in 2014, when the watcher struck, the website NeighborhoodScout.com named it the country's 30th safest town. The most pressing local issues of late, according to the residents, have been the temporary closure of Trader Joe's after a roof collapse and the rapid scourge of unconstitutional policing, by which they mean aggressive parking enforcement. Now, given the high stakes <laughs> hubris of multi-million dollar home buying and the fact that the Westfield residents, uh, uh, Westfield's residents mostly hail from old money, the Broadduses wondered whether someone was just butthurt over losing the house to a couple of upstarts. But but of the prospective buyers whom the Woodses had dealt with up to the final bid, one had backed out after a devastating medical diagnosis, and the other had already settled into another equally gorgeous home across town. To Andrea Woods' mind, the watcher had to be a neighbor. The mention of the contractor trucks and the children's name cinched it. The letters had been processed in Kearney, uh, northern New Jersey, uh, excuse me, in northern New Jersey's uh, postal distribution center in Kearney, meaning they'd been mailed from close by. Tellingly, the first letter was postmarked Mm -hmm. June 4th, before the sale went public and only a day after the contractors came in. And bear in mind, the Woodses never put up a for sale sign. Not long after the first letter, during a neighborhood barbecue, Derek Brada struck up a conversation with John Smith, who lived two doors down. Thus did oddball Peggy Langford and her clan first appear on Derek's radar. The Langford family, Schmidt told him, were a strange bunch. Though daughtering Peggy was well into her 90s, several of her brood, all pushing 70, still lived with her had in fact failed to launch themselves and groveled at the matriarch's feet their entire adult lives. One of them, a bearded malcontent named Michael, (laughs) John described as Westfield's uh, resident Boo Radley. Mystery solved, or at least so Derek brought us thought. The Langford home was within easy view of the porch where one of the kids, the quote artist in the family, had been painting. Also, the Langfords had lived in the house since the 60s. In one letter, you'll recall, the watcher maintains that uh, they'd been watching, that they were only the latest in a long line of watchers sworn to keep a close eye on the the place, uh, that he or she had been observing for, quote, the better part of two decades. The Langford family patriarch, Richard, had passed away 12 years prior. Well, perhaps the watcher was just fudging their resume to look like they've been doing it for longer. Um, but I mean, 12 years is technically the better part of two decades. Um, you yeah. know, but uh, Detective Lugo brought Michael Langford in for questioning. Though he, of course, denied any connection to the letters, he tended to speak in ways awfully suggestive of the overall watcher narrative. Alas, without much in the way of hard evidence, short of a straight-up confession, Lugo's hands were tied. Formal charges were never brought against Michael Langford. Lugo assured Derek that based on his experience, nothing would come of the threats. Probably. Probably isn't good enough for me, Derek clapped back. After the second letter, he informed the cops in no uncertain terms that if they didn't take care of the situation, he would. At which point they'd have a very different kind of case on their hands. This person attacked my family, Derek told Weideman for the cut. Where I'm from, if you do that, you get your ass beat. Amen to that. No longer willing to rely on the cops, the Broadduses started their own investigation. Derek behaved like a man possessed, rigging webcams all over the outside of the house, spending nights crouched in the dark, waiting to catch the watcher red-handed. Maria worried her husband was losing his mind. He amassed documents and splayed them across his desk like a conspiracy nut. He painstakingly worked out probable lines of sight and earshot vis-a-vis details boasted of in the letters. Few homes, he determined, fit the criteria. 
though of course this didn't rule out someone from beyond the neighborhood taking advantage of an unknown hiding place, Derek ate, drank, and slept the Watcher. And Maria wasn't doing so well herself. Her therapist diagnosed her with PTSD. Suddenly, every tiny detail of their lives, every comforting routine, was fraught with sinister underpinnings. They were being watched, and whoever and whoever it was seemed to hold all the cards. A private investigator drudged up a few interesting facts after running background checks on the neighbors and conducted a few stakeouts, but didn't wind up giving Derek anything he could really use. Undaunted, Derek even leveraged his position on the high school board of trustees to contact their real-life inspiration for FBI agent Clary Starling from Silence of the Lambs. They were on the board together, Jeez. apparently, yeah. He also consulted former uh, former FBI agent Robert uh, Lenahan to perform a threat assessment. It was Lenahan who noted several old-fashioned turns of phrase in the letters that might indicate the writer was over 60. The envelopes, for example, were addressed to M slash M Bradus. The salutations included the day's weather, um, and the sentences had double spaces between them, which is kind of an old form that's no longer used. The letters also had a certain literary panache, which suggesting a voracious reader. Also notably, uh, also notable was the lack of profanity, especially given the level of anger and vitriol in the letters. Perhaps this meant the writer was female. Linehan didn't consider the Watcher an active threat, but pointed out that the slew of typos, errata, and odd grammatical tics did indicate a degree of unpredictability. For example, the first letter had been dated Tuesday, June 4th, despite June 4th being Wednesday. At times, the writer's venom extended to all wealthy people, particularly new money moving into town. For example, quote, Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? Nor, it seems, did the Watcher care for the Broadus's modest renovations. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy, you are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for Physics 57 Boulevard when I ran from room to room, imagining a life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old, and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died, and now... I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Lenahan recommended looking into former housekeepers or their children. Perhaps the watcher was jealous that someone had bought a home they, the writer, could only ever fantasize about owning. Now, despite this, the Langfords remained Derek's top choice for the culprit. In conjunction with the police, he concocted a ploy to spur the watcher to action. He sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to demolish 657 Boulevard. Nothing happened. Lugo brought Michael in for a second round of questioning, but for his trouble only incurred the wrath of Michael's sister, Abby, who accused the police of outright harassment. Enter Lee Levitt, a lawyer hired by the Broadduses to broker a meeting with the Langfords. Levitt confronted them with the letters, backed up by photos displaying how their home uh, afforded a view to several details mentioned by the Watcher in the letters. The meeting grew tense, but the Langfords doggedly held on to the claim that Michael was innocent. Maria... Meanwhile, wish she could be as certain as her husband about the Watcher's identity. To her, it could be anyone. And she had her reasons. For starters, the second letter came after the police spoke to Michael Langford for the first time, so he'd know the stakes involved in sending a second one, and that he was being watched himself. Detective Lugo had assured them after speaking with Michael that they wouldn't be bothered anymore, and we saw how that turned out. He couldn't have been more wrong. The private investigator, Derek Hired, uncovered the unpleasant fact of two sex offenders living within a few blocks. Bill Woodward, a house painter, noticed an older couple living behind the Broadduses who, despite having a huge backyard, set up two lawn chairs bizarrely close to the Broadduses' property line relative to their own back porch. One day, 
I was looking out the window, and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs, Woodard said. He wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Broadduses. Uh, more from the Weidemann article. By the end of 2014, the investigation had stalled. The watcher had left no digital trail, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of a crime that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern uh, New Jersey. The letters could be read closely for possible clues or dismissed as the nonsensical ramblings of a sociopath. In December, the Westfield police told the Broadduses they had run out of options. Derek showed the letters to his priest, who agreed to bless the house. Upon finally selling their old house, the Broadduses were faced now with the nerve-wracking prospect of settling into 657 Boulevard for keeps. As it was, Derek had been responding to tripped alarms by racing over in the middle of the night with a knife in his hand. He considered hiring a military vet to keep daily watch in the backyard. He shopped around for guard dogs. Unwilling to risk the lives of their children, the Broadduses subjected themselves to the indignity of living with Maria's parents, leaving 657 Boulevard empty. Neighbors, most of whom were ignorant of the letters, gossiped as to why the new owners weren't moving in. Were legal issues involved? A divorce? All the while, the watcher seemed to be slipping deeper and deeper into madness. Quote, 657 Boulevard is turning on me, the next letter read. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I'm in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. Six months after. No shit, right? Six months after the trouble began, Derek and Maria brought us put 657 Boulevard up for sale. As you might imagine, no one bit. Since few people in the area <laughs> knew about the letters, rumors about why the Broadduses had pulled uh, a 180 on their supposed dream home swelled to monstrous proportions. Potential buyers were scared off by stirrings of something evil going on, a murder, this, that, and the other. The Broadduses were left holding the bag, unable to support another mortgage while maintaining 657. In what many believe was a desperate bid to recoup their losses, the Broadduses filed a lawsuit against the Woodses for failing to disclose the initial letter. This backfired fantastically. A reporter got hold of legal documents that included excerpts from the letters. When the story broke, the resulting media frenzy ruined any chance of the house finding a buyer. The Broadduses' last hope? Sell Sell the house to a real estate developer. Attempting to do so, however would open up a whole new motherfucking can of worms. <laughs> oh, and no. there is where I will leave it, because then we uh. begin the next chapter of The Watcher when the developers get involved, and fuck, it gets weird. Even weirder. Wow. It yeah. is, that, it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre that, you know, listening to it, it does sound like it's probably, like it could be an older person, but it sounds like somebody... They're angry at the nouveau riche, right? That yeah. seems pretty clear. Or, or pretending to be. Or at least pretending yeah, to be. Yeah, it's really, when it, with letters like this, you never know how real it is or whether it's just someone being a fucking troll. Trolls have been around forever. Yeah. And, and you know, there's some there's plenty of 60 to 70-year-old trolls out there that are like, ooh, I'm going to make them think I'm mad that they're rich. But for all I know, it could be coming from right. a, a nouveau riche. <laughs> right. It could be coming from inside the house. I mean, maybe. Oh, God. Maybe. I mean, it, it's weird when nobody lives there, but. It is weird, know. but I, I mean, mean, the Watcher does allude to the secrets within the walls. What if there's a secret little place that the Watcher's like living in? Ooh. Yeah. 
it's a so it's crazy. a big house, six bedrooms. That's, yeah. I'm, now I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. to hear the next yeah, next yeah, portion. Yeah. So yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you guys just kind of digest that this week, and then I'll be back with more with chapter two. Marinate in what we Wonder. know. Yeah. Until next Monday. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like it. So yeah, that Thanks, is chapter Michael. one of the Watcher. You're very welcome. I love creeping you out. I in, well, I normally enjoy it. It seems extra creepy today. Yeah, I. It's it's the, I don't know. It's just it, how recent it is. And the idea of like yeah. uh, home ownership is already terrifying enough, but having to like right. to, to to make that kind of investment only to immediately be like, what the fuck have I done? There's a there's a there's a yeah. psychotic person writing me fucking letters and threatening my children, and 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 the police are like, we can't do nothing, and it's probably yeah, one of our neighbors. For that shit either. No, you can't. Yeah, it's so fucking your weird. Your limited just... warranty is not going to cover that. It just goes to show you how much power uh, a person has if they, how much they can get away with if they can affect anonymity. You know, all they have to do is like write a letter and it's like, as long as there's no, nothing to, you know, you may know who's doing it, but unless you can prove it in a court of law, it's, they can keep doing whatever they're doing. It's, it's terrifying. Stalkers are terrifying because of how hard it is for the law to deal with them. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Man. <sighs> well, mm. I hope everybody else enjoyed those stories. I hope no one out um, there is getting letters while they're in quarantine. <laughs> me too. Or bad letters, anyway. Thank, thank you to everyone who uh, you know is listening. Thank you again to um, Eric Bale for yes. reading our story. We have another surprise reader next week, so stay tuned yes. for that. And for the rest of The Watcher, and I'll find something else interesting to, to talk about. I <laughs> have no idea currently. <laughs> but check us out on ghoulintentions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at yes, ghoulintent. Yes, yes. And the Instagram is ghoulintentions. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. Wednesday night, aren't you going to be on the GalaxyCon thing? Am I? I think, are you, well, follow Michael's Twitter because we're having, we have some appearances here and there. We're just, since we don't have conventions, people will mm-hmm. do live, um, kind of live yeah. panels, I guess for, yeah. Uh, yeah. Galaxy Con has been doing a lot of those. I don't think and, I'm on that this uh, week. I'm not sure when I'm on it. If I'm, I don't, yeah, I don't think I am this week. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, check but it hey, out. maybe I will, You'll but who never promote knows? it if you I, do. Yeah, I'll promote what, it. And you're uh, at J. Michael Tatum? Yeah, it's just J. Michael Tatum. Yeah, Twitter.com. Yeah, and I'm at Marky Mark, M-A-R-C-H-I-M-A-R-K. Um, and then, is there anything else? Goalintentions.com, there are shirts for sale there. There's, uh, you know, you can submit your stories there. We, we need all of your stories. If you've got creepy stories. quarantine stories. Yeah, creepy quarantine stories, definitely. We want to hear those, too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So let us know. And uh, thank you again to all of our patrons. You all are amazing. We really, really yes, appreciate you. We have a really. chat tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. Central. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, for our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com, Google Intentions, and find us there. Um, I think that's it. Yep. I think I got through it pretty good. Okay, nice. good. <laughs> nice. Stay all safe. Right, well, wash you. your hands. Yes, yeah, stay safe. <laughs> wash your hands. And remember. It's okay to sleep it's with okay the lights on. It's okay to sleep on. with the lights on. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.